Today on the Matt Wall Show, Joe Biden unveils his brilliant new plan for education. He wants to add four additional years of public school. Your, your children should be in the state's clutches for 16 years, he says. We'll talk about all the reasons why that's a terrible idea today. Also, five headlines, including talk of sending U.S. troops into Haiti. And a teacher's union comes out and says that we need more critical race theory in education, while another union says that there is no critical race theory in education at all. Seems like a little bit of a contradiction there. And yet, and also yet another woman at a spa in Los Angeles is sexually harassed by a naked trans person. Plus our daily cancellation, where we will talk about a recent Washington Post article, which informs us that the word exotic is now racist. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, if you're tired of throwing your money at companies who uh, really, it would seem, don't want it, or they want your money, they just don't want you, they don't like you. If you're tired of throwing your money at companies like that, then start looking for companies that support you and share the same morals and values as you. Uh, one such company is Charity Mobile, the pro-life phone company. And uh, if you become a Charity Mobile customer, as I am and have been for well over a year now, 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. And that all that means is that when you're when you're paying your bill and you're uh, and you're doing that, you're you're also helping to build a culture of life in America. Uh, as you support a pro-life phone company. But there are a lot of great perks to come with it as well. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. There's no contract, there's no termination fees, and there's no risk either with a 30-day guarantee. You also get free usage alerts, you get a free app to monitor your usage, and uh, all of that is great. But the best thing is, again, you're turning everyday living into effortless giving for the charity of your choice. So call them at one 474 3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. Everyone is, of course, familiar with the old saying about the definition of insanity. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, I think we might revise it slightly where the government is concerned and say that insanity is investing more and more time and money into an ineffective strategy, hoping that it will magically become effective. You can always count on politicians to come along and say, well, this thing we're doing doesn't seem to be working. And that's why I propose that we spend another $5 trillion on it. Nowhere is this type of insanity more effective, or, or rather more, more uh, prominent, than in the realm of education. As Joe Biden again demonstrated yesterday, Biden tweeted this, quote, the, the fact is 12 years of education is no longer enough to compete in the 21st century. That's why my Build Back Better agenda, so terrible, that slogan, it's the worst slogan, probably the worst political slogan I've ever heard, Build Back Better. Uh, anyway, my Build Back Better agenda will guarantee four additional years of public education for every person in America, two years of preschool, and two years of free community college. So 12 years isn't working, he says. Let's add another four. He unveiled this plan in uh, more detail during a speech the same afternoon at a community college in Illinois. Here it is. Does anybody think in the 21st century, with the changes taking place in technology and across the board, that 12 years of education is enough to be able to live a middle-class life? I don't think so. And so the fact of the matter is, we've decided, I've decided we should have a minimum of 14 years of education. 14 years of education, which I'll explain in a second. You know, as the first lady, I'm Jill Biden's husband, um, but <laughs> as Jill would say, and she's a full-time community college professor while being the, second, the first lady, she often says, any nation that out-educates us is going to out-compete us. Any nation that out-educates us is going to out-compete us. 
That's why I want to guarantee an additional four years of public education for every person in America, starting with providing two years of universal, high-quality preschool for three- and four-year-olds, building, building on what the governor has been doing here in Illinois. And then I want to add two years of free community college for everyone. And then I want to give everyone uh, free pancakes every single morning when they wake up. I think everyone should have pancakes. We'll, we'll work out the details later, but everyone should have that. There are so many problems here that it's hard to know where exactly to begin. Biden says that 12 years isn't enough to compete and, quote, live a middle class life. His plan is then to add two years to the beginning and the end, two years of universal pre-K, which means kids will start at the age of three or four and then uh, two years of community college. He says he wants to do all of this because kids should have a minimum of 14 years of education. Now, the first issue should be immediately obvious. Four plus 12 is 16, not 14. So Biden can't even do basic arithmetic. And here he is trying to revamp the education system. More importantly, what does he mean by compete? Compete with who exactly? Who is my three-year-old supposed to be competing against? Well, we got to get her in, uh, in preschool so she can compete. What? Against who? Her peers? Well, this is all about the kids competing against each other. How does it help to make them all spend the same, the same amount of time in school? If you increase the amount of time they're all spending in school, then aren't you just breaking even in that case? Or is she supposed to be competing against children from other countries? Is that the concern I'm supposed to have for my three-year-old child that she's you know, that she uh, is able to compete against toddlers in China? Where do we get this idea that education is primarily a competition? Isn't that a fundamentally grotesque and bizarre and ugly way of looking at it? Education is supposed to make people smarter and more knowledgeable and wiser. A good education ultimately makes you a better person. Note the, the good qualifier there. A good education will do that. But it's hard to achieve that goal, the goal of being a better and wiser person, if you're doing it in the name of competition. Or by compete, do you mean simply that our kids' ultimate purpose is to be cogs in the corporate machine? You know, that's their great calling in life, and more time on the government education assembly line will better enable them to fulfill that vocation. Is that what you're saying? So again, what precisely are you saying? What is anyone saying when they advocate for education as competition? And then, in spite of all this talk about competing, which sounds ruthless and dreary, but at least ambitious in a certain way, Biden says that the real goal is to live a middle-class life. Oh, is that all? Now, there's nothing wrong with being in the middle class. Most people are. But since when is that the fulfillment, the destination? Since when is that the goal in and of itself? Politicians talk about the middle class as if it's all anyone should ever strive to achieve, even though, of course, none of them are actually in the middle class themselves. So just think about this for a minute. Biden is arguing that you need 16 years of formal education in order to simply be middle class. You need to be in class from the age of three until at least your 19th or 20th birthday so that you can be rewarded with a salary of $45,000 a year and an 1,100 square foot townhouse. Again, there's, there's nothing wrong with that salary or that kind of house, but the idea that you need 16 years of education to attain it is nonsensical. And the idea that such attainment is all anyone wants or should want 
is wrong and weird, not to mention depressing. Biden says that um, 12 years of formal education simply isn't enough. This is something we hear a lot. It, 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 always, it always rings hollow in my ears, I have to tell you, because 12 years of formal education is all I have. And uh, I'm doing quite well, I have to say. I'm not a trust fund baby. I didn't start out with a million dollars in the bank. I didn't start out with any money in the bank at all. And yet I've had success, and, and now I'm supporting a family of six on my own with only a high school diploma to my name. And I barely even earned that diploma, to be honest with you. Am I some sort of earth-shattering exception? Am I so incredibly talented and brilliant that I managed to do what Biden and so many others say is virtually impossible? I'd like to think so, for my ego's sake. When he says, when I hear that this is like impossible to do, I really want to believe that because then that means that I'm very special. But I'm not. The fact is that a great many paths in life, profitable paths, paths that could lead to success, success, do not require formal education outside of high school. And, and then there are many more which, if they do require uh, some kind of formal education outside of high school, require something like a trade school, not a four-year university. These sorts of pathways and options are, are becoming more plentiful, not less. There are, as time goes on, more, not fewer professions where the only thing that matters is whether you can do the job. I can tell you that in my business, nobody gives a damn about whether whatever paperwork you might have. All that matters is whether you can do it, whether you're good at it, whether you put in the work. And this is not unique. There are many industries like that. Can you do it? Are you good at it? If you can, there's a spot for you. If you can't, there isn't. Waving a paper around and saying, yeah, but I have this piece of paper. Nobody cares. That's the case for a lot of jobs. But let's say for a minute that Biden is right. Let's pretend for the sake of argument that 12 years is insufficient. That kids are emerging from their measly 12 years woefully unprepared to compete or even to be functional middle-class citizens of the country. Actually, we don't need to pretend that actually is true in many cases. A great many kids are coming out of their public school education with no knowledge, no skills, no idea what they want to do with their lives or can do, utterly ill-equipped for life, having learned virtually nothing. There are millions of kids who went to public school and in the end, have learned nothing. They would have been better off spending those 12 years like in a jungle being mentored by spider monkeys. There's a lot of kids for whom that's the case. And, and, and so we know that. What is the solution then? To send them back into that environment for four more years? To do more of the thing that didn't work to begin with? To invest more of their young lives, not to mention trillions of additional dollars from the taxpayers? to do the thing that was already proven to be totally ineffectual? No, obviously not. These are kids who either will not thrive in any kind of formal educational environment because their minds simply aren't wired that way. I fall into that category. That doesn't mean we can't learn. It just means that we can't learn like that. I love to learn. I just can't do it if you sit me at a desk for seven hours a day and you've got it all regimented, you say, this is what you're going to learn now, and now you're going to learn this, and now you're going to learn this. I can't learn like that. Doesn't mean I can't learn. A lot of kids fall into that category. Or 
These are kids who will not thrive in the particular educational environment of modern public school because that environment is horrible for learning, which is why only a very small percentage of kids manage to do it. Whichever the case, four more years isn't going to help. 20 more years won't help. And it especially won't help these days when kids are spending large chunks of their initial 12 years sitting in classrooms and learning what it means to be, you know, a gender-fluid pansexual rather than learning foundational things like writing and mathematics and science and literature. If you really want to compete with China, then you, you, you'd get rid of the LGBT and the, the critical race theory indoctrination because I can guarantee you they aren't wasting any time on any of that in Chinese classrooms. But all of that's a moot point, really. The talk of competing, of achieving, the goal of being middle class, all of that is window dressing. The real reason these people want more public education, want to have your kids in their clutches for longer and longer, is so that their minds and souls can be formed, your children's minds and souls can be formed into the shape that these people prefer. And that has nothing to do with learning math or science or history. The powers that be don't give a damn whether your kid knows anything about math or history or literature, whether he can write well. None of that is the point of education as far as Biden and everyone else on the left are concerned. Rather than cut back on the LGBT and critical race theory stuff, they're making room for it more and more and pushing real education, real educational subjects to the side precisely because these things are the point. Your kids belong to them. Their souls belong to them, as far as they're concerned. Give your kids to us early, they say. And we may not make them smart or successful or competent or happy or fulfilled, but we will make sure that they have the right opinions and the right values. That they become the right sort of person. Which is to say, the opposite of the sort of person you want them to be. That's the real purpose of all of this. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now we're checking in with MyPillow. You know, as you know, MyPillow has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. And uh, they, they will do that for you. All you got to do, you buy MyPillow products. You're never going to want any other kind of product. Um, but they don't just stop by simply creating the best pillow. And they could stop there. Mission accomplished. They've got a lot more than that. Uh, MyPillow created the new Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for anyone's busy schedule. MyPillow found the world's best cotton called Giza. Might be Giza. I might be pronouncing this wrong. It doesn't matter. It's just comfortable when you sleep on it. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. MyPillow sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza Dream bed sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else, guaranteed. Giza Dream sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. MyPillow is making a special offer, though, for my listeners, uh, where you will receive two for just one low price, plus free shipping. If you want to take advantage of that, then go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code DAILYWIRE. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products. So again, call 1-800-951-7163, use promo code DAILYWIRE, or go to MyPillow.com, use promo code DAILYWIRE. Um, okay, I guess we'll, uh, I, I wanted to include this because it, it very much plays into what we just talked about, especially at the end there of the monologue. 
uh, the real purpose of education, which is to convert your kids. You know, it's it's a it's a it, for for the left, public education is religious education. It's all about conversion. And um, here is uh, and and most of the time on the left, they'll deny that or they'll try to go try to kind of use euphemisms. They don't want to speak directly about it and admit that yeah, we want your kids, we want to convert them and make them into the kinds of people that we think they should be. Usually, they they skirt around that subject. They're not going to be so blunt and straightforward about it. But every once in a while, they'll come out and, and, and admit it. And sometimes do that in the form of song. So I got to play this with you, for you uh, to begin with. This is the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, as they're called. And uh, they've apparently been around for a long time. This is a, a, a video they put out on, on YouTube. It's titled A Message from the Gay Community. And uh, anyway, here's the message. Let's listen. You think we're sinful, you fight against our rights, you say we all lead lives you can't respect. But you're just frightened, you think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. You can keep him from disco, warn about San Francisco, make him wear pleated pants, we don't care. We'll convert your children, we'll make them tolerant and fair. There you go. Uh, we, we, that's, that is... Ultimately, the goal. Now, we, we also have... Okay, we'll play this clip for you real quick, too, because then the song goes on. I'm not going to play the whole thing for you, um, but I think the creepiest part of the whole song... You probably thought that. It couldn't get creepier than that. Well, it does. Here you go. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children. Oh, nothing weird about that. A bunch of grown men saying we're coming for your children. What else do you need to know? They're literally, they've put it in song. They're singing it to you. We're coming for your children. Yep, we are. We'll get, we got a whole song and dance about it. Yeah, even in spite of this, there are still people, even people on the right, a lot of people on the right actually, when you use a phrase like the LGBT agenda, they kind of recoil. They say, well, whoa, yeah, this is, that's conspiracy. That's offensive. It's, it's right there. It's not for me. It's, it's this, you just heard it. You heard the song. They've got, a, they've got an anthem now. Making it very clear. Um, the only problem with a, a phrase like the LGBT agenda is that it's, 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 this is all, it's redundant. I mean, the left's agenda is the LGBT agenda, is the critical race theory agenda. All of this is, is together. But they could not be more clear about it. They're coming for your children. And the way that they justify it is, is they say, well, we, we want to make them 
tolerant and fair. We want to make them open-minded. Of course, it's going to be our idea of what tolerant and fair means. And as we know, uh, this is not going to be universal tolerance. Because they're not going to be tolerant. We, we, we don't want your kids to be tolerant of, uh, of everything. We don't even want them to be tolerant of you. We want to turn your kids against you. No, we want them to be tolerant of, of us and the choices that we make. And not so much tolerant as, uh, as celebratory is really the word. Um, all right, let's move on here. A little bit of international news. This is from The Sun. It says, the U.S. could send troops into Haiti after the bloody assassination of President Jovenel Moise, who was uh, gunned down in his home. It's feared the Caribbean nation could be plunged into chaos after the killing, which has shocked the world, and experts have already raised the prospect of a Western intervention. Uh, can I say, first of all, I am not especially shocked that something like this happened in Haiti. I admit I know nothing about Haiti whatsoever. The only thing I really know about Haiti is that uh, it's not the kind of place I ever want to be. But I can't, be, I can't say that I'm terribly shocked that something like this is happening in Haiti. And what I can also say is that um, I have no interest in seeing any U.S. troops go to Haiti. How is that our problem? And I think we have to be outspoken about this kind of thing right now. Because right now, it's all we're being told is, well, there's, there's talk. We, we might send some troops in. As the American people, we have to put our foot down and say, absolutely not. Stop right there. That's not happening. This is Haiti's problem, not our problem. Haiti gets plunged into a civil war. Unfortunate. Not our issue. You got to figure that out on your own. Sort out your own problems. Um, all right, let's move on here. It's, uh, here's an article. So we've, we've got two things which really seem to contradict each other. Call me crazy. We'll start with an article on the Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs website. It says, at its recent annual meeting and representative assembly, members of the National Education Association, which is the largest teachers union in the country, vowed to support and promote use of critical race theory in the classroom and oppose laws that prevent biological males from competing against biological females in women's sports. The NEA is the parent organization of the Oklahoma Education Association, and uh, OEA members were among those participating in the annual meeting, which was conducted virtually this year. In the 2019 to 20, 2020 school year, the most recent for which figures available, um, so on and so forth, that doesn't matter. The task force's goal includes increasing the impl implementation of critical race theory and similar material in curriculum and pre, pre through K through 12 and, um, and higher education. Okay, so this is what they're saying. They want to, they are not only okay with critical race theory in the school system, but they want more of it. They want to increase critical race theory in the school system. And if you're increasing it and you're putting more funding in it, and that means that it's already there, right? Well, this sheds some interesting light on a speech given yesterday by Randy Weingarten. She's the president of the American Federation of Teachers, another massively large teachers union. And uh, she has a very different take on critical race theory. Here's what she says about it. Critical race theory is not taught in elementary schools 
or middle schools or high schools. It's a method of examination taught in law school and in college that helps analyze whether systemic racism exists, and in particular, whether it has an effect on law and public policy. But cultural warriors are labeling any discussion of race, racism, or discrimination as CRT to try to make it toxic. They are bullying teachers and trying to stop us from teaching students accurate history. Okay, so critical race theory is being taught and it's a great thing and we need to fund it. We're told that on one hand. On the other hand, it's not being taught. This is just in, it's in law school. It's not being taught at all. Well, it's kind of got to be one or the other. And the way that they get away with this is that um, it, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a yes and no to both, to both positions. Because it's true that, you know, seventh graders in public school aren't being, they're, they're not sitting the seventh graders down and saying, hey, kids, here's this thing called critical race theory, and uh, we're going to tell you all about it. There isn't any subject or class called critical race theory. That's not happening. And that's how Randy Weingarten gets away with making a claim like this. That technically a thing called, there, there is nothing that we call critical race theory, which is being taught directly to the students. That's something, that's a, a law theory, it goes to law school. Um, and okay, that's true, but no one, no one is claiming that that's what's happening. In fact, critical race theory would be much less of a problem. I still wouldn't want it in the school system, but it'd be much less of a problem if it was actually labeled critical race theory and taught as a subject, as its own thing. I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't want that either. But that would be far less pernicious and damaging than what's actually happening, which is that instead, the, the fundamental assumptions of critical race theory are just embedded into the education system and into the curriculum and into everything the kids are taught, especially when it comes to, when it, when it comes to any subject, but especially when it comes to a subject like history. We're going to focus on the sins of the white man. We're going to pretend that slavery was an inv- basically an inventive slavery and conquest and colonization. These are unique sins. White people carry unique guilt for it. There is this thing called systemic racism, and, uh, and it's, it still exists today. That's all of those things. That's, that's all critical race theory, but they just don't label it that. And they are embedded into the education system. But it is definitely there. It, it is, it's, it's underlying the entire thing. It's, it's foundational now. Critical race theory and also gender theory is another. Kids are, there's, I'm guessing there's probably not a time when kids K through 12 are sat down and told, hey, uh, here's this, uh, this thing called gender theory 
and it was uh, first pioneered by a guy named John Money in the 1950s and 60s, and here's what he was all about, uh, and, and, and this is the idea. That doesn't happen. I wish that that would happen. I wish that they would tell the kids about John Money and, and, and give, the, give the real history of gender theory, but they don't. Instead, the assumptions, the philosophical assumptions of gender theory are embedded. And they permeate every aspect of the curriculum and the education system. But if gender theory, and I think, uh, you know, the, the right has actually had some success for a change when it comes to critical race theory, bringing it into the public consciousness, branding it as a bad thing, which it is, mobilizing people, getting, getting parents upset about this. They're going to the school board meetings. They're speaking out about it. It's been a huge success. The right historically has been very bad at doing that, at mobilizing people, exposing the left's ideas, branding it in the public consciousness. That Usually the left, is they're, they're, that's their specialty. So on critical race theory, we've had a lot of success there, which is, which is great, something to be happy about. Um, I hope that next we can move on to gender theory because the ex- it's the exact same thing that's happening. And we should, it's, that's what it is. It's called gender theory. Put the label on it. It's also a very bad thing. It's, it's even worse than critical race theory in a lot of ways. It's even more damaging. Because here you're, you're messing with a child's sense of their own identity. You're depriving them of identity. Um, And if we get to the point where this is branded and we're talking about gender theory, people like Randy Weigard, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to come out and say, what are you talking about? We don't don't discuss gender theory in in public school and in grade school. That's that's in, you know, that's, that's something we talk about in universities. Um, but it won't be true there, just like it isn't for critical race theory. All right. Speaking of gender madness, this is something I, I want to talk about, even though I'm late to the game because I missed some shows. Uh, you may remember the We Spa incident. That was, we, we played the video last week. There was a woman at the We Spa in Los Angeles. She went into the uh, women's locker room at the spa, and there was a, a, a man walking around naked, and there are kids there, and there's women and he's just exposing himself, and then she comes and, and confronts the staff and is very upset, understandably. Um, she reacts like anyone should react to that. And the staff says, there's nothing we can do, so on and so forth. Well, there was a protest against the spa over the weekend. Antifa showed up. Things got violent, as they always do when Antifa shows up. And here's how NBC reports on what happened. Let me, I'll just read the NBC report to you. Um, Demonstrators clashed outside of a Koreatown spa on Saturday after a transgender woman apparently disrobed in an area reserved for women. A few far-right protesters appeared to be outnumbered by those favoring transgender rights. Police declared the gathering an unlawful assembly in the afternoon. Um, Officers spread out at the scene and an LAPD helicopter whirled overhead as demonstrators shouted at each other and in a few cases uh, exchanged blows, according to social media video from the incident. The protest was prompted by an incident captured on video and shared on social media of a woman complaining to We Spa USA workers about a trans customer who disrobed, and listen to this sentence here, thus displaying her penis in an area where women are nude. 
Uh, the incident occurred about a week ago. The workers stood by the trans woman and said legally they cannot discriminate against her. Her penis. And then the report continues. Some of the protesters, according to images and videos from the scene, include, included apparent QAnon supporters with T-shirts that mention the term pedo wood, um, a baseless theory about a secret cabal of Satanist child abusers in government, entertainment, and media. Um, videos show demonstrators clashing with each other and with police. Protesters' chants included, save our children, another expression affiliated with QAnon. <laughs> this is another thing. Where, where do you even begin with this? Save our children is a QAnon expression. You know, I've been going to pro-life events for 20 years or more, and save our children is a really common slogan there. I didn't know that we were all QAnon supporters. This is way before QAnon existed. So now, according to NBC, if you, if you want to protect children, you are a far-right extremist and even more specific than that, you are a believer in QAnon because you want to protect children. And if, in general, you don't think that men should be disrobing in front of uh, women without their consent, then that's far-right extremism. But always remember, the, the people who support this, who would type a phrase like, her penis, for them it's all about science. These, this is the pro-science crowd. Well, meanwhile, um, another woman has come forward to talk about her own experience getting sexually harassed uh, by a trans person at this very same spot. And this woman, who will play the video for you, she, she uh, showed up at this protest. She's one of the far-right extremists. But as she talks about in the video, the video goes on for like nine minutes, she lives in Los Angeles, She's always voted Democrat. She's very liberal. She says she, she's attended, she goes to pride parades. It's just that she doesn't think that she and her six-year-old daughter should be exposed to naked men. That's all. And that makes this registered Democrat gay pride supporter a far-right extremist. Well, let's listen to her talk about her experience uh, at the spa. She went there with, again, her six-year-old daughter, and um, they're in the, the women's side of the spa, and everyone's naked, which is what they do at these spas, apparently. And she's at a, uh, uh, she's sitting in the hot tub when a man walks in, and here's her talking about the story. We're having a great time. We're in there with other women. When a person, I guess, with a penis and a beard came over with two uh, girlfriends, they appeared to me to be lesbians with tattoos and colored hair and they appeared the three of them to be kind of progressive activist types they came in with kind of an entitled attitude and they sat down on the edge of the hot tub where i was with my daughter my six-year-old daughter who was naked and the person with the penis sat down on the edge of the hot tub with uh just fully on display with his genitals fully on display. And so me and the other women in the hot tub kind of looked each other in the eye and we just kind of made this face like, what the heck? And, uh, you know, we're motioning to my daughter. I'm motioning to my daughter. And the women in the hot tub are like, I know, what the hell? And, um, you know, we were just uncomfortable. And I was trying to block my daughter from seeing the 
penis on the person with the five o'clock shadow who was not trying to look like a woman at all. And we got out of the hot tub and I walked away and I thought I spoke to like a different woman and a woman, this other woman said, um, you know, they spoke to this person about covering up, but they refused. And I felt kind of horrified. So this is a, this is a man coming in, uh, five o'clock shadow, everything, making no attempt to appear like a woman at all. Not that that matters. Who cares if he did? You know, if he wore a dress on on the way into the uh, to the locker room before disrobing, that doesn't make it better. But it, it adds if it's possible to add to the absurdity and the grotesquerie here, it, it it just adds to it. That now you could have men, five o'clock shadow, full on men wearing male, you know, masculine clothing, making no attempt to even appear like women at all. And they can saunter in, take off their clothes, deep voice. Yeah, I'm a woman. And nobody can object. Or you can object, but it's not going to get you anywhere. And if you do object, you're a far-right extremist like this woman. But there she is with her six-year-old daughter, who's naked, just like she is. A man sits down and just takes his naked, spreads his legs in front of a, a six-year-old this is straightforwardly the direct sexual harassment of a young child by, in a, by a grown adult male. And the left, not only are they okay with it, but this is, this is something they celebrate. It's a, this is, it's a wonderful thing. This man is living his truth, or living her truth, they would say. So keep that in mind because when you hear people worry that we're headed to a point where um, we're normalizing pedophilia, okay, you should know that, that that's crazy talk. Okay, that is crazy talk. We are not heading to a point in the future where we're going we're gonna to see the, the normalization of pedophilia. The left is not going to eventually start advocating for and normalizing pedophilia. That, that, is, that is absolutely insane. You should not be saying that. Because they're doing it now. Okay, that's not something they're, they're, they're going to do in the future. It's happening right now as we speak. When you can have a grown man take off his clothing and get fully nude in front of a, in front of a six-year-old girl and expose himself to her directly. And the left says that you're, you, you can't even object to that. This is a wonderful thing. When we get to that point, which is where we are, then we are in a spot where, where pedophilia is being normalized. They're doing it right now. We don't have to look down the slippery slope and start conjecturing and saying, well, you know, if we keep going down this slope, here's where we're going to end up. Nope, we're there. Um, and and, and this, this is what it looks like. Look, the... The normalization, this is how normalization always goes. Any time of normalizing any form of degeneracy or evil. They're they're never going to do it directly. And they're never going to use the same kinds of labels and terms that you use to describe the thing. So, of course, the left was was never going to come out and say, yeah, pedophilia is a good thing. They're never going to do that. They're not going to use that word. 
that word is, is forever associated, has, has bad association for everyone in the world. They can't rescue that term, so they're not going to use it. But what else could you possibly call this? In fact, I'm, you know, I'm pro- I may be even understating the case a little bit because I'm saying this is sexual harassment of a child as a man to expose yourself to a young child as sexual harassment. Um, I think it would be more appropriate to say this is sexual assault. And in any other circumstance, the left would, would have no issue with that characterization. If this was a, a quote-unquote cisgender male who just takes off his clothes in front of a six-year-old girl, I think we would all be able to agree. That is, that is harassment. Is also, it's also assault. You're assaulting her. But if the man um, in his head allegedly feels like a woman while he's doing it, then it's okay. All right. Let's move on um, from, from that for now. One more story before we get to reading the comments. This is, uh, well, I'll just read you the story and I'll let you react to it however you do. And then I'll, and then I'll let you know what the correct reaction should be. All right. Um, it says a peacock that had been a staple in a California neighborhood for years was found shot dead after someone posted a Craigslist ad taking out a hit on the bird, according to local reports. The online posting went up on June 13th, a little more than two weeks before the peacock, nicknamed Mr. P or Azul, was apparently killed in Humboldt County. Resident Melissa Glass told the newspaper, it's really sad because he probably suffered for at least two or three hours before he died, possibly more. Glass said that one of the neighbor's daughters had actually recalled seeing a Craigslist ad in search of a peacock assassin. The ad, which was first reported by local outlet Lost Coast Outpost, had appeared in Craigslist's wanted section with the title, Someone to get rid of a peacock, adding it wanted the animal dead by any means necessary. The author claimed that the bird had first appeared in the neighborhood four months ago and complained about being awakened by its calls. The ad read, quote, please contact me so we can form a strategy to eliminate this bird and also to agree on how much you'll be compensated. Um, But Glass told the the Times that the peacock began visiting her uh, uh, neighborhood six years ago and often came by her house because it likes spending time with the chicken she owns. Um, and, uh, then finally this ad shows up in, in, on Craigslist calling for an assassin for the peacock assassin. And I guess someone actually takes it upon themselves to respond to this cry for help. The bat signal went up and, and someone assumed the role of Batman and came in and vanquished this villain. Now, but now we're being told, we're going back to the article says the Humboldt County Sheriff's Office said the deputies are investigating the incident and that a potential suspect had been identified. Deputies said, quote, the, the crimes currently being investigated are animal cruelty and conspiracy to commit a crime. This, I think, is one of the great injustices of, of our time, arguably. You have this hero, I, maybe two heroes, taking care of this problem. And now we're going to charge them with a crime for killing a peacock? By the way, the only reason they're getting charged with a crime is because the peacock has pretty feathers. That's the only reason. If this was like a vulture or a crow or even like a wild turkey, some ugly animal that doesn't have pretty colors, 
and they were in the neighborhood and someone shot and killed them, no one would have a problem. There'd be no criminal charges. So the actual crime here is that you killed something that was pretty. It was pretty and people liked looking at it. And now we're going to charge you with a felony. I don't know if these are felonies, but we're charging you with a crime. Now, if you think that I'm being, uh, that this is, this is uh, harsh to defend uh, the, the assassin of an innocent peacock, I just, I went to YouTube because, you know, I'm something of a peacock expert myself. You might not be. Um, maybe the only thing you know about peacocks is that they have pretty feathers. But I want you, I went to YouTube and I found a video that has the call of a peacock, just so you can see and hear, rather, what this sounds like. Can we play this video. Here's what a peacock sounds like. I don't know why this YouTube video exists. There are actually a lot of YouTube videos of peacock sounds. I don't know who all these weirdos are who need, you know, 10-minute videos of what a peacock sounds like. I guess I'm one of the weirdos. Anyway, listen to this. Listen to this. Okay. Now imagine, imagine this for six years. Six years, this damn animal is coming into your neighborhood and making this sound at all hours of the day and night and early in the morning. And your neighbors are encouraging it. They're leaving food out, they're petting it, taking pictures. And you are just tormented by this sound for six years. Okay, we can, t- we can turn that off. Turn it off. Uh, you get the idea. A really annoying sound. Even as, even. I mean, all animal sounds are annoying, but this one is pretty bad. And he takes the initiative, and now we're going to charge him with a crime. I just find that outrageous. All right, let's uh, go now to reading the YouTube comments. Um, Toothpaste Juice, great username, says, Matt was wrong about charcoal. Wood chips are also a good alternative to the devil's propane. Yeah, I'll allow wood chips. Uh, you know, and as long as you're starting, a, you have some kind of actual physical fuel that you're, you know, lighting on fire. Wood chips are fine, charcoal. Propane does not count. If you say that you're grilling out or you're cooking out or something and you're using propane, no, you're not. If you have a, you might as well just use a gas stove. There's no reason to even use the grill. Um, Edward uh, says, I used to be a teller at PNC. We're insanely carefully monitored. Every move we make, every transaction down to the last penny is tracked. So I agree teachers should be watched. Our kids are far more important than money and deserve to be protected as such. Yeah, this is why I think it's just common sense. You think about all the scenarios where we use cameras, and usually we're using cameras because there is something being handled or or dealt with that we place a high value on. Money, our pets, like we talked about yesterday, so why not our kids? Uh, we, we see this, this kind of double standard or this blind spot, not just with cameras, also with, uh, with guns. You know, the same people who object to cameras in the school, a lot of these are the same people who, who, who object to uh, having any kind of armed security in the school. Well, we can't have that. Yet they have armed security at banks. They have armed security in almost any government building you walk into. We use armed security to protect money, 
to protect physical objects. We used armed security to protect politicians. You, you can go to the, the social security office and there's going to be an armed security guards in there protecting what? Documents. Pieces of paper. And we won't use it for our kids. So for all of those things, money, documents, politicians, we've got cameras, we've got armed security, because we, we really want to protect these people and these objects. But we don't do it for kids. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, Haley says, I just realized that the pink and blue alien thing in the background has the exact same colors as the bisexual pride flag. Matt, please explain yourself immediately and stop with this virtue signaling. I don't, I, I accept, this is, this is the alien's lived experience and his truth, and I'm going to accept him for who he is. And if you can't do that, then you're, you're banned from the show. Uh, Sam says, Matt, our NICU at our local hospital had ver- video cameras that only parents could access. So many areas are implementing more accountability. School makes sense. I think COVID was good in the sense that it finally got parents to see what's being taught. Yeah, um, NICU is another, another, another good example. Our twins were in the NICU for only about 24 hours, thank God. But yeah, there's cameras there. And no one, you have cameras in the NICU. No one objects to that. And also, it's not as though it's a, a live webcam on YouTube that anyone can access. But you get a password if you're a parent of the child, and you can check in when you want. Why can't we do the same thing with, uh, with kids? You give, you give password to the password to parents who have custody of the children, and they're able to access it. That's just one of the measures you could put in place to protect the privacy of the kids. We talked yesterday about other things you could do. Um, Let's see. Finally, uh, or not finally, but another comment says, as a college history teacher, I would feel uncomfortable with cameras in the classroom. Not so much for my sake. Um, After all, I already appear in videos on my YouTube channel, and I guest appear in videos on other channels. But for putting in a sly little uh, plug for your YouTube channel, I respect that. But for the students' privacy, in a class discussion, students should be able to respond to questions and express themselves without worrying that they'll show up on YouTube slash Twitter, et cetera, and then get canceled for some nonsensical reason. I wouldn't have any issue with parents seeing class syllabi or course materials. Would you want your classes recorded, or are you only referring to K through 12? Yeah, I'm only referring to K through 12 because these are kids, and this is also a government building, and that's why I think you need the cameras there. But as far as not wanting this stuff to end up on Twitter and YouTube, all that, all that, well, that's why you have the pa- you have it password protected. You have the camera only trained on the front of the classroom. You could even only give access to the audio. It could be an audio only thing, and then if there's an incident or something happens, a controversy, then you can go and maybe the the full video will be released, like they do with with uh, body cams. Um, and finally. Username Hippie Enigma says, I know you don't care, but you lost a fan for this nonsense, Matt Walsh. Well, I do care, Hippie Enigma. That's where you're wrong. I care deeply. Please don't leave me. I'll change. I promise. Don't leave. Please. Please. Well, it's okay. We'll move on, actually. I think I'll find, I'll find a way to... to pick up and and move on with my life even as we we go our separate ways. Though it is very sad to lose you. 
I've been telling you about when I, when I, you know, during my course of, of taking my seven different vacations, I've been telling you about these marathon car rides that I've been on. The, the good thing is when I'm, when I'm the one driving the car, I don't have to deal with, with uh, motion sickness. I'm not exactly sure why that is scientifically, but it, that's the way it goes. If I'm not driving though, um, that's when I get car sickness and I get it bad. And that's why um, I am so grateful for Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that's been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraine, hangover, morning sickness, and chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free. Another great, my favorite thing about it is that it's non-drowsy. You can take some of those, you got medicine you could buy, but that's gonna make you drowsy and uh, you might not be able to, you might, not, you might not be in a position where you can necessarily take a nap. And that's why you need Relief Band, zero side effects. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now Relief Band is available to the masses. If you want to ensure nausea is never the reason to miss out on life's important moments, you gotta go right now uh, to reliefband.com. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for Matt Walsh listeners. If you go to reliefband.com, use promo code Walsh, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30 day money back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code Walsh for 20% off. Well, you may have heard him discuss it a time or two, uh, possibly. It was easy to miss because I think I only mentioned it like three times. But Michael Knowles has a new book out. And uh, this one has words in it. And that's, uh, you know, my second favorite kind of book is the kind that has words in it. The book is called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. And if you haven't picked up a copy, now's the time to do it. The book takes you through the origins of political correctness and uh, what is what its rapid spread through American society means for our future. It'll give you the tools you need to understand and spot political, p- political correctness in order to stop it. Um, and also, you know, another reason to support the book and, and buy the book is that... Uh, it was a number one bestseller, but New York Times decided that they're not going to put it on the list. I don't think they ever gave a reason for it, but they just said, no, we're not going to. They can do that. They're just going to say, yeah, you know, number one bestselling book. We're not going to put it on the list. Um, that's another reason to buy Speechless. So if you don't know the history and relevance of political correctness already, you're about to learn about it with Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, available everywhere right now. And if you don't like making a trip, it's available on Amazon in hardcover and Kindle edition. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. I have to admit, I'm sort of jealous of uh, leftist pundits, media personalities, columnists, because they've set up a system that makes things easy for them. And also it's kind of fun, I think. The formula is simple. um, And uh, if you don't have any material to talk about or write about on any given day, all you need to do is pull a random word, idea, action, phrase, whatever out of a bag and come up with a reason why that thing is racist or otherwise bigoted. It's like a fun word association game. It's like apples to apples or something, except every word is associated with racism. All you have to do is explain why, uh, explain why it's racist, which is where the fun comes in, along with the profits. So there's a slow news day. Well, no problem. Just write up an op-ed or do a cable news hit to explain why, I don't know, sea cucumbers are racist or why mashed potatoes perpetuate gender inequality or why the number 76 is transphobic. The sky is the limit. And the sky is also, of course, racist. G. Daniela Galarraza, food writer for the Washington Post, decided to play this game In a piece published this week titled, Stop Calling Food Exotic. Now, note how these titles never say, please stop, or maybe you should stop, or here's why I personally don't like this thing. It's always, stop doing it. You have no choice. I have decreed, and now you must obey. As a theocratic fascist myself, I can appreciate that style. But in any case, here's what Daniela says. She says, quote, 
One of the nicest things about Afghan restaurants is that they appeal to even the most timid of diners. Mark and Gail Barnett wrote in the May 16, 1993 edition of The Post, your visiting aunt from Spokane, Washington, can enjoy the adventure of an exotic cuisine with the reassurance of familiar-looking food. The Barnetts meant no harm, no foul, when they put the word exotic in their review of Bethesda's Sunrise Kebab, but their presumptive Anglo-centric perspective on a cuisine based in South Asia says more about how they saw the world than about the cuisine itself. Okay, now pausing here, the writer is, if you're a little confused, the writer is going back 28 years to some food column written 28 years ago in order to make her point. If that seems like a hell of a reach, I mean, it is, but don't worry, because she also has random emails from readers that she uses to prove her point. So you add together the emails and this review of a kebab shop in Bethesda in 1993, and we've got ourselves a full-on crisis. She continues, quote, After I wrote about a seven-minute, uh, seven-ingredient ramen in early March, I received the first of several emails from readers complaining or gently chiding me for... Uh, including exotic spices or condiments in my Eat Voraciously newsletter. Your offerings tend to be exotic foreign cuisine that we wouldn't even order in a restaurant and certainly aren't interested in cooking at home, one reader wrote. Another complained about the exotic ingredients in some recipes and asked if I could, quote, please try to pick some recipes featuring ingredients that are readily available. Reading the word hit me like a slap, and initially I wasn't even sure why. Did they think the dish sounded odd or disgusting? Or were these ingredients simply hard for them to find? The first problem with the word exotic is that probably within the past two decades, it's lost its essential meaning. The second, more crucial problem is that its use, particularly as applied to food, indirectly lengthens the metaphysical distance between one group of humans and another, and in so doing, reinforces xenophobia and racism. Now, the article goes on for many more paragraphs explaining why, as she puts it, the use of the word exotic tends to, quote, ostracize the other in the service of empowering oneself. I'm not going to read much more from the article to spare you the pain, but I do want to share just this piece towards the end. She says, um, she's quoting now uh, someone, she says, I have never heard the word exotic used in reference to something that is white, says Chandra D. L. Waring, professor of sociology at University of of Massachusetts Lowell. You know that exotic means other or different from a dominant white perspective because no one ever says, I'm going to go on an exotic vacation. I'm going to Lowell, Massachusetts. No one ever says, let's go to that exotic new restaurant. Let's go to McDonald's. Now, yes, you probably have never heard someone call McDonald's exotic. That's because exotic is a word with a definition. And the definition is, quote, originating in or characteristic of a distant foreign country. McDonald's does not originate in a foreign country. It originates in Los Angeles County. And there are McDonald's every 14 feet in America, so no part of the McDonald's experience could possibly feel exotic or foreign. Except maybe when you bite into your Big Mac and end up with some kind of foreign, unexpected object in your mouth, like a piece of hair or a toenail clipping. It also may be true that you've never heard someone in, say, Japan or Vietnam or Somalia describe American things as exotic. Do you know why that is? Well, it's because exotic is an English word, and they speak other languages in those countries and have different words to to describe things that are foreign. But they certainly do have some kind of word for that concept, and I can guarantee they use it freely, and nobody ever stops to wonder whether its use is ostracizing or offensive. Words like exotic and foreign and alien and different, uh, they are by definition subjective, which doesn't make them wrong or offensive. It just means that whenever someone is using them, they are referring to their own relationship to that thing. 
a space alien is a space alien to us on Earth when he's flying his big tic-tac through the sky while Navy pilots film it. But he's not a space alien back on planet Zepton or wherever. To him, we're the aliens. To us, he's the alien. The same concept applies in more Earth-bound situations. To us, food from a country 5,000 miles away is exotic, foreign, maybe strange. To the people who live there, it's just lunch. And to them, our food and customs might be strange. The only difference is that the foreigner is allowed to make those subjective judgments about us while we're not supposed to make it about them. And that's really what's going on here, right? People like the writer of this article, they always tell us to respect the lived experience, that is the subjective experience, of supposedly oppressed and marginalized minorities. But the supposedly non-oppressed groups, and there's just one, white people, are apparently not allowed to have subjective experiences at all. At least we're supposed to speak and behave as if we don't. Everybody else can see the world through their own lens and talk about things, describe things, label things in that way. We, on the other hand, are supposed to view the world like detached, lifeless, inorganic robots. There's no exotic food, only food. No foreign people, only people. No difference, only sameness. Our entire subjective state has been declared problematic. The only question then is whether you care about these declarations or respect the imagined authority of people like this Washington Post writer when they tell you to stop doing these things. And I can tell you for sure that I, for one, do not. And that's why I can say to her today, uh, you are canceled. And there's the peacock again. The peacock is also canceled, and righteously so. We'll leave it there today. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodasky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. President Trump sues the oligarchs in Silicon Valley. A San Francisco gay men's chorus is coming for your children and BLM attacks the American flag. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.